that I never can. Teach us in the deepest parts of who we are. We ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we've been having a pastoral conversation with you over the last couple weeks about why you and I need the church. And we felt the need to talk this through with you because over the last year and a half, COVID has shifted so many things in our culture from the way we live to the way we buy our groceries to the way we work. Uh, It has absolutely caused us to rethink everything that is a part of our life. And part of that has bore good fruit. It has created innovations that's allowed us to carry on our relationships and our education and our work in a way that's been able to keep us safe and be able to help us mitigate the spread of this virus. But we've also talked about that not every innovation that has come our way in the last year and a half has been a good innovation. And while we as a church have innovated right along with our culture, trying to figure out ways to stay ministering to you well, helping you grow in the kingdom of God, helping you stay connected, we understand that if we're not careful, the enemy can move right into those best intentions, and he can use those to divide us and to keep us isolated. And we think that's the biggest trap facing us as individuals right now, as families and as a community, is the temptation to give in to the inertia that wants us to be isolated. And so if your workplace has moved to a place where now you're working from home and you're at a distance from your other coworkers, you know what it is to be moved in a direction of isolation, right? Or maybe you've had sickness in your home, and so a doctor says you should be quarantined for 10 days or 14 days or however long it is. You understand what that isolation feels like. And it is so dangerous for us because the enemy loves to isolate you. He loves to get you to a place where the only voice you can hear loud and consistently is his voice where he can lie to you about what's happening around you. He can lie to you about what you believed about the Lord, what you've read in Scripture, what we have just sung about, the goodness of God. And if he can lie to us consistently in our isolation, then he can paralyze us in fear, anxiety, depression, all manner of things with which he desires to destroy us. And so as followers of Christ, we have to press past isolation. We have to find ways to connect with people in our family, with our friendships, in our community, and especially the body of Christ. So do you remember last week when we talked about this amazing technology that we have now? This technology that allows Wi-Fi to be in this room and allows these cameras to broadcast my voice and my likeness uh, literally around the world right now. And we've talked about what a a great resource that is. But remember what we said last week. As a body of Christ, as leadership of Trinity, we want you to understand that what you're watching right now from a distance, this is not church. This is not church. This is a ministry resource that we're able to provide for you to sustain you when you have to be isolated, when you have to be at a distance. Maybe right now you're having to be home because... COVID continues to rise in cases that's back on the horizon again and your doctors and because of medical conditions you have, you're not able to get out. That this is a great ministry resource for you. Maybe you're on the mission field and you're having to be a part of uh, from this body of believers and this is a great way for you to keep up with what's happening here and seeing people and hearing what the Lord's doing at Trinity. We're glad this is a ministry resource for you. But this is not the church. 
Because for it to be the church, it requires connection with other men and women. And that, that's not impossible to do through technology. It is so much more difficult, right? I mean, you and I both know what it's like to take uh, a college university class on Zoom. Maybe you don't know that, but some of you do. Some of you know what it's like to be in fifth grade and to have to do it by Zoom. Some of you understand what it is to have your weekly work meeting from Zoom. You know how chaotic that is. There's always that one person that has the ceiling fan on in the background that makes your eyes just follow that person the whole time, no matter who's talking. That's my pet peeve. Make sure you turn your, your ceiling fan off when you get on the Zoom call. Pastor Matt's giving you some advice there. You understand how difficult it is to connect and communicate with each other from a distance because that's not what we were created for. God created us for connection. That's why God said one of the first things he ever said in creation, in fact, the only negative thing he ever says in creation to start is this. It's not good. It is not good for man to be what? Alone. He looked out over all creation, everything he made, and he said it's good. Then he finished it by saying, it's very good. And then he said, it is not good for man to be alone. When will we learn that? We're thousands of years from that statement. When will we learn that? So as we continue this discussion about why we need the church, we want to talk about today the power of the church to redeem our family of origin. Now, I understand that just by talking about your family of origin some anxiety is going to begin to rise in some of you because it has, for your entire life, been a difficult thing. For some of you, it was not always a difficult thing, but it has become so in the last couple of years. And I understand that because our culture has escalated conflict in the last few years. We are now more divided in every way that you want to describe than we ever have been because we have divided ourselves over politics and over morality and over what is truth and how should we approach different things within the world. And that's not even counting COVID, right? And whether or not we should have a mask on, whether or not we should get a vaccine, whatever it is, things are prone to divide us more and more. And this is the trend that we're observing right now. Because of the difficulty of relating to our family of origin, here is what is taking place. We are beginning to distance ourselves from our family of origin. And we are beginning to join groups with which we can relate as surrogate families. Our technology has actually allowed this to take place. So 10 or 15 years ago, you couldn't sit down with a video game console and play Call of Duty with someone in Vietnam at the same time that you're playing in Florence, South Carolina. But now you can do that. Like, you can do that. You can carry on a conversation with someone you've never met. You can play a game with them. You can, through Zoom, talk to someone in Indonesia. You can find people who value the same things that you do. In fact, the internet has allowed us to find those niches of people who value things that we value. I mean, you go on Facebook and look at some of the groups that we have now. You can find bowlers that only bowl in pink shoes. I promise you, there's a group for that. You can find people who grew up in Florence, South Carolina, but now have moved to Nebraska. I promise you, there's a group for that. 
You can find Clemson fans in New York City. You can find Alabama fans in Alaska. You can find anyone that you want. And here is what it is teaching us to do. To gather with people who agree with us in ways we want them to agree with us. And we would draw from anyone who disagrees with us in any way. And here's why it's incredibly dangerous. Because when we only gather with those who agree on some aspect of something, they never challenge who we are, what we do, or what we believe, unless you cross them on whatever that niche issue is, and then you're done, right? I mean, then you're out. But we are never challenged as people, and if we are never challenged as people at every age group, whether you're five years old or 55 years old, if you're never challenged by people who are not like you, who don't think like you, don't talk like you, don't believe like you do, if you are never challenged, then there is no growth. There is no change. In fact, we step back and we become more and more immature. Immature. So how do we speak into this new phenomenon of creating surrogate families. Uh, a lot of times we refer to it as fam. That's the new word. This is my fam. This is the people who I love now. These are the people who support me now. Here's one of the dangers. Here's one of the things I'm worried about. One, uh, it can become a real blessing at this point because you have people who are accepting you and who are sustaining you and giving you emotional connection now. But what's going to happen in 20 years when you get that cancer diagnosis. What happens when you lose that child in an accident? What happens when your job is ripped out from under you? Are those niche groups that now has become fam for you, are they going to be able to sustain you and bless you and support you? I hope that we'll see the development of that. I'm not optimistic. Because we are so fickle in our affiliations, we pull out of those affiliate groups so quickly. The least little thing we'll pull out. Why do we believe that those folks will be there for us when things get hard? And believe me, sooner or later in life, something is going to get hard for you. And you're going to need more than your resources to deal with it. But here is the real blessing. The family of God, the church of God, can provide family support that is not based on our affiliation, but is based on the bedrock of Jesus Christ that does not shake though the circumstances around us change, and it can provide for us connection that we desperately need no matter what the circumstances of our life is. So what I want to do today is I just want to talk about our families of origin and i want us to understand that as difficult as they may be for you right now or have been in the past or may become in the future i want to say something to you jesus understands he understands because one of the things i don't think we understand about jesus is that jesus had issues with his family of origin you know, we read about Mary and Joseph in the Gospels, and we see their faith and their support of Jesus as a child, and we think that that just 
progressed on the upward trajectory from that point on. But Scripture tells us other things. Mary, of course, was a believer in Jesus, and she was supportive of what her son was about in his public ministry. But it appears from Scripture that Joseph is off the scene somewhere between when Jesus turns 12, which is the last time that we see Joseph in the Gospels, and when he begins his public ministry, which is somewhere around 30, Joseph is off the scene. We don't know what happened, but most likely he probably passed away somewhere in there. Which means that Jesus, as the oldest son in that family, would have been required by his culture and the standards of that day to have taken the leadership of his family. It would have been on him to care for his mother and to care for his other brothers and sisters. Did you know that Jesus had brothers and sisters? I mean, the gospel points that out to us. And did you know this? It doesn't seem like they liked him very much. It doesn't seem like they believed in him. And it was a source of conflict within his ministry. But Jesus navigated it. And in all things in life, Jesus is always the example by which we navigate the difficulties of life. So can we just dive into the Scripture together? We're not going to look at some long passages. We're going to look at a number of different passages. So be ready to flip or be ready to click on your phone, whatever you do to look at Scripture. Uh, Don't look at your phone for anything else in Scripture for the next 30 minutes. But whatever you do, let's be ready to flip. And I want you to turn to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And I want you to see that Jesus has begun to travel. He's begun to teach. You know how this works. He would go into homes. He would heal somebody. They would bring a demonic person to him. He would cast out that demon. They'd be healed. And that would draw a crowd. And just about everywhere Jesus went in his early ministry, crowds were everywhere. And this is no different. So Mark chapter 3, down to verse 20. Go all the way down to verse 20 in your scripture. And here's what Mark tells us. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Now what we don't understand a lot about Jesus' ministry is 75% of his ministry takes place right around the Sea of Galilee. His family live right in that area. His ministry in that area. They have absolute understanding of everything that's going on with Jesus. And on this one day, this crowd gathers in somebody's house. We don't know whose house it was. And the crowd is so large that Jesus and his disciples are a little overwhelmed. They can't rest. They can't eat. And his family decides to show up because it says that they want to take charge of him because they think he's out of his mind. This is the ancient equivalent of wanting to have him committed because they thought he was crazy. So they show up with this crowd and they're wanting to take custody of him because they think what he's doing is crazy. Maybe there was a little bit of the well that was poisoned on his sibling's side because Jesus did not fulfill the responsibility he was expected of in his day to have been the head of his family and take care of his mother and his other siblings, right? And maybe that fell on the next brother in line and he was a little salty about that. So anything he could do to disrupt this ministry, we don't know, but they're out to take custody of Jesus and they think he's crazy. Now it builds 
from there. So turn to the right in your Bible to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Look at this next little vignette into Jesus' ministry. John chapter 7, and we will start with verse 1 here. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, and he did not want to go in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of the tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works that you do. Now, I don't think they're really trying to expand his ministry. I think what they're saying is, I don't care where you go, but you need to get out of our neighborhood. Like, we're, we're tired of, uh, like, you and these crowds and all this stuff. Just go away. Judea was about five days' walk from Galilee. So they're like, the further, the better. Why, why don't you go ahead and go on up to Jerusalem? Go up to Judea. They say, no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. Verse 5, get this. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Now think about Jesus. Think about his calling. Think about his desire to take the kingdom of God into the world, to reach the world with the good news of what God has for them. And his own brothers and sisters did not believe in him. Some of you know exactly what that feels like. For some of you, you're the first generation of believer in your family. Your family uh, was not raised in the faith, was not raised in church. Your siblings still don't walk with the Lord. Your parents don't walk with the Lord. Your nephews and nieces don't walk with the Lord. You came to faith in college, or you came to faith by the grace of God through the love of somebody else, and you are experiencing this right here, that longing to see the people that you care the most about come to faith, but you are not seeing any progress in that direction. I want you to know Jesus understands. In fact, he understands not only the ache to see your family members come to faith, he understands when your family members say, listen, I want you out of my faith, with, out of my face with your faith. I want you to take it somewhere else. I don't want to talk about it. The further, the better. Jesus understands. He understands. But listen, it gets better. Luke chapter 8, so to the left in your Bible, Luke chapter 8. In light of the difficulty that Jesus faced within his family of origin, look at how he redefines family for the kingdom of God. How he teaches his followers to see family through the lens of the kingdom. Luke chapter 8, down to verse 19. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Another house, another crowd, another visit from the family, right? Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside and wanting to see you. And he replied, my mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. So now Jesus is redefining family in light of the kingdom of God. Family is no longer in the kingdom of God, just our family of origin. Now it is elevated above that, and it is made up of those, the family of God, who hear God's word and do what? Obey it. That makes us part of the family of God. And Jesus says, I am going to prioritize the family of God in the kingdom of God. 
He knew where his brothers were. He knew his mother's faith, and he knew he didn't have to convince her. But he knew what his brothers were out for when they wanted his attention. And he said, no, I'm here to focus on the kingdom of God and the family of God. And I'll entrust my family of origin to God the Father. Now, it grows and changes even from there. So to the left in your Bible again. I know we're flipping a lot, but it's good for you to look at the counsel of God and build the things we believe off of multiple places in Scripture. It's important for us to see the whole counsel and help us understand Jesus better. So Mark chapter 10, because this redefining of family for the kingdom of God, now he's going to up the ante. You ready? He's going to up the ante. Mark chapter 10, beginning of verse 28. Peter's one of those followers who had left his family so that he could travel with Jesus and be about the work of the building of the kingdom of God. And look what he says. Then Peter spoke up. We've left everything to follow you. And truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age. Did you get that? Underline that. In the present age, you will receive homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with, this isn't the part we want to talk about, but along with persecution. And in the age to come, eternal life. This is what Jesus says. For those of you who have become my disciples, that you've begun to follow the kingdom of God, it may cost you your husband, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sister. Obedience may cost you that, but I want to promise you something. You've never left anything of this world. You've never left any part of your family of origin to be obedient to me. You've never left that behind that I will not provide you another family. And I love what he says there. It is in this present age. It's not once we die and we're all part of one big family up in heaven. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you will be part of a family here. Mothers and brothers and sisters and fathers and children. You'll be part of a family here in the kingdom of God. The family of God. And by the way, they'll be the ones that will help you sustain the persecution that is coming. Now listen, here's the ideal. Here's the ideal of what we want. I hope that every single one of your families of origin overlap with your family of God. I hope so. I hope every one of your parents. I hope that your brothers and sisters. I hope your children and grandchildren are also a part of the family of God. That's the goal for the kingdom of God, is that every man and woman come to faith in that. But I have seen it played out in your families, and I've seen it played out in mine. That rarely happens. It rarely happens. One of the reasons I think the Lord doesn't allow it to happen is so that we'll have in routes to witness to our families. The most natural way to share the gospel is with the people you know best and that know you best. And our family can be both the easiest place to share the gospel and the hardest. Agree with me on that? Both the easiest place to share the gospel and the hardest. But I want to challenge you on this. Valuing the family of God is going to be critical, critical as we move forward in this culture. Because division is going to continue again and again and again and again. We need the family of God. Now, I want to be real careful here. Because just because you've heard your pastor say, 
that Jesus called us in the kingdom mentality to value the family of God even above our family of origin. If we're not careful for some of us, we're going to use that as an excuse to further separate ourselves from our family of origin. And I want to say something to you. Being faithful to Jesus may very well do that. But for many of us, the separation from your family of origin is not about Jesus, it's about you. I want to say a hard word to you. There are things that you have done to your brothers and sisters that you need to make right. There are things you have said to your mother and your father that you need to own and you need to apologize. There are things that you have done to your children and that you have said to your children that you need to own. And we cannot use what Jesus taught about valuing the family of God and use it as a springboard to continue to be disobedient, to not speak into our family of origin. Are you with me? I know that's a hard word, but Jesus wants to see your family of origin redeemed even more than you do. Even more than you do. And he wants to use you as a tool in his hand to do it. He wants you to use, use you to do it. And I want to show you why that's true. Acts chapter 1. As broken as Jesus' interaction was with his family. And by the way, Jesus' interaction with his family was always perfect. It was never sinful from his part. He always honored the Lord. And his, fa- his relationship with his origin of family was still broken. I want you to see how his obedience to the kingdom of God, valuing the kingdom of God, the family of God above that, actually served to redeem his family of origin. So I want you to turn to Acts chapter 1 to the right in your Bible. This is after the resurrection. Jesus has been crucified. And if you did not know, Acts tells us that after the resurrection, Jesus spends the first 40 days on earth working with his closest followers, helping them understand what's happened and what's to come. And then, of course, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls, and the church is ignited and begins to expand and grow from there, right? But this isn't quite the Holy Spirit falling yet. We're not at Acts chapter 2, but I want you to see what happens. Acts chapter 1, Jesus' closest followers, after those 40 days, when Jesus ascends into heaven, they gather together. They're waiting in Jerusalem for him to send the promise that he's promised, the power that will help them be witnesses. They're waiting for that. They're gathering. They don't know what to do, so they just gather and pray. If you ever don't know what to do, just go pray with people. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Acts chapter 1, I want you to go down to verse 12. Listen to this conversation and what takes place with the apostles. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present, make note of this, you ready? Here's up, who's, who's up in the room praying right now? Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. So that's the 11, right? That's the closest apostles. But look who else is there. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women. There were women that traveled with the 12 as well. We know that they supported Jesus' ministry. They were a part of his teaching as well. And listen to this. And who else is there? Mary, the mother of Jesus. That makes sense because Mary was there from the beginning. But look what else it says. And with his brothers. What? What? 
with his brothers. So before the crucifixion, they don't believe in him. In fact, we have every reason to believe that they did not believe until after the crucifixion and resurrection. We know because the only person in Jesus' family that was present at the cross was Mary. No brothers, no sisters, and it makes sense. If you're embarrassed about your brother, you're not going to go to his execution, right? You don't want to be associated with him. In fact, Jesus has to say on the cross to Mary, he has to say about John, his follower, this is your mother, this is your son, meaning I'm transferring not just the physical care, but the spiritual care of my mother to you, not to my brother, but to you, my spiritual brother. And 40 days later, 40 days later, his family, his brothers are gathered with their mama in the upper room praying wondering what's next and they were there when the holy spirit fell the next day they were there they were there when your brother comes back from the dead it changes a lot about your relationship with him and history and scripture tells us that though we do not know exactly what took place first corinthians 15 tells us that jesus appeared to james his brother and I just believe it transformed James. And I don't know if he appeared to Jude, who was Jesus' brother. I don't know if James's interaction with Jesus led to James and Jude uh, talking about Jesus and Jude coming to faith. I don't know how that works, but here's what I know. If you open your Bible, the book of James is written by James, Jesus' brother. Not James the twelve disciple, Jesus, his brother, James. The book of Jude is written by Jude, who was Jesus' brother. So we have two books of Scripture to testify that the power of the gospel is real to redeem our family of origin. We have the power of the gospel to redeem our family of origin. And if there was brokenness in Jesus' family, and he was perfect, then we need the gospel to see our family of origin redeemed. Because we're not perfect. And neither are they. And I want you to see this. The family of God can be key to the redemption of your family of origin. you got to get this. you got to get this. What we do in here can have an effect on your blood, brothers and sisters, on your children who have been estranged, on your parents who won't talk to you about your faith. What we do here can change all of that. And that's the goal. That's the goal. So I want to encourage you to write some things down in your bulletin because you really got to think this through. You got to take the Word of God. You got to take... Uh, what the Holy Spirit teaches you, you got to pray this over. you got to chew this through because this is really important. You need the church. First thing I want you to see is this. A kingdom mentality towards family can be the catalyst for reconciliation to your family of origin. Jesus wanted to see his family reconciled to the Lord. But notice what he did and didn't do. 
in order to see his family reconciled. He did not cowtail to them. He did not compromise what he believed. He did not back down from hard subjects. At times, he even said, uh, I'm not going to take your advice. At other times, he said, I'm not going to talk to you right now. I'm doing the Lord's work. All that is modeled in the life of Jesus. The way that Jesus saw the redemption of his family of origin was for him to focus on the kingdom of God. It will be the same for you. It will be the same for you. Prioritize the ways of Jesus. Be obedient to what Jesus calls you to do. When you focus on the kingdom of God and obedience to God and the family of God, it opens the door for Jesus to work in your family of origin. And here's why. Because obedience in your life is the best way for the Holy Spirit to work through your life. Do you understand that? The best way for the Holy Spirit to work through your life is for you to obey Jesus in whatever he says to do. It moves all of the blockages out. All the blockages out. Number two, while our culture's new definition of family has no plan to redeem our family of origin, the family of God looks to redeem it using kingdom principles. Here's uh, the really scary thing for me as we are separating out from our family of origin and, and gathering ourselves around surrogate families. In doing that, we are looking to see our, our mental health protected, which is a great thing. We're looking for support in our life with our children, our husbands, our wives, our workplace. We're looking for commonality and common interests, which is all very healthy things. And in some ways, we're coming out of isolation, which is a healthy thing too. But here's the really dangerous thing. I am not seeing within those communities a plan to redeem your family of origin. In fact, here is what I'm seeing. I'm seeing a renewed commitment to just abandon my family of origin because now I have somebody who will accept me. The kingdom of God and the family of God will never call you to do that. The kingdom of God will say, you feel accepted by the people of God, you should take that same acceptance into your family of origin. You have the grace of God, you have the mercy of God, you have the love of God poured out on you. Now you need to go to your family and pour the love of God, the mercy of God, and the grace of God out on them. The kingdom of God has a plan to redeem your family of origin. And it starts with things like this. When Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, he means your family too. Not the Taliban over in Afghanistan, although that's part of it. He's talking about when you find enemies in your own family, you should love them and you should pray for them, not abandon them. Or when he says this, forgive us our debts as we also do what? You know this. Forgive our debtors. And then that really fun verse that we don't like to talk about in Scripture when Jesus said, for if you do not forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will ignore it and pour out His grace on you. Oh, oh, oh that, I'm sorry. That's actually not what it says. It says, for if we do not forgive men when they sin against us, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. Don't you see? Kingdom principles offering forgiveness within your family of origin 
can bring life in the gospel. The kingdom has a plan for that. I've been talking about on Wednesday night how we engage with our culture. We were talking about in Sunday school this morning. And one of the things that Dave Buring said that I stole from him, I totally stole this from him, but he wouldn't care. This is one of the things he says. Anytime you see a problem in the world, anytime you see spiritual darkness, here is how as a believer you should go about to correct it. Whatever you see, lead in the opposite spirit. Lead in the opposite spirit. If you see disunity in a church, here's how you solve it. Not through more disunity. Lead in a spirit of unity. If you see unforgiveness in your family, how do you correct it? Pour forgiveness into your family, whether people ask for it or not. Whether they deserve it or not. Did, you, did Jesus wait around until you deserve forgiveness before he extended it to you? No, 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 he didn't. So extend it to people who don't deserve it either. Pour forgiveness out on people. Pour love. Pour grace. You see bitterness, bring joy into a situation. You see anxiety, you leave with peace. You see revenge, you leave with grace and mercy. When you see cursing, you bring blessing. And if we can begin it in our family, we won't have to worry about the world. Because our family will affect the world. It will affect the world. Whatever we see, we lead in the opposite spirit. The kingdom of God has a way to redeem your family. It does. But only when we follow kingdom principles. Number three. Where's my Bible? What just happened? Scott, okay, there we go. All right, we're good. Number three. If reconciliation with our family of origin never happens, the family of God can provide us with all the support, accountability, and connection we will ever need to thrive. I really want to say to you that every single time that you walk in kingdom principles, eventually your family of origin will be reconciled and they'll come to faith. But I'm telling you, it's not true. I, I can't tell you that. The kingdom of God can reconcile anything, but it doesn't mean it will. But I'll make you a promise. If you're not able to be reconciled to your family of origin, the family of God can provide you with all the support, all the love, everything you will ever need to thrive in this life and to keep holding out hope to your family of origin no matter what happens. That's the beauty of the family of God and the kingdom of God. Everything we need is at our disposal. And last but certainly not least, no matter what the state of your earthly family, God welcomes you into his. No matter what the state of your earthly family, God welcomes you into his. I praise God that God does not only receive perfect families into the kingdom of God because we would all be shut out of that door. We'd all be shut on the outside of that. And for some of you, I grieve because I've listened to your stories. I've listened to the fact that you've never seen one of your grandchildren because your relationship with your child is so broken that they won't even allow you to make contact and will not allow you into their home to see your grandchildren. Some of you have never had the chance to introduce your children to their grandparents because that relationship is so broken. You would love to do it with every part of your being, but you're not able to do it. 
For some of you, you've seen a husband walk out on you. Some of you have seen a wife walk out on you, not for your own doing, but because they're in disobedience. They broke your family of origin, and now you are picking up the pieces. I want to say something to you. The family of God can provide support for you and can provide redemption. We have a young lady in this congregation who was adopted, raised by a great family, and just this year was able to figure out who her family of origin was. Got to reconnect with them. Got to take a trip up to see them, to be with them and interact with them. And for the most part, her family has no church background, is not walking with the Lord, and she interacted with her mother. That became pretty clear. But she got to spend that time and to talk with her and to share about what the Lord's doing in her life and what the Lord's doing to redeem her immediate family of origin and how things are changing and just to be a blessing to them and love on them and to work through some of that stuff and ask questions about why did uh, all those things happen? What happened there? What was going on there? And you know that she's worked really hard since that trip to keep up with them and text them. And her sisters that she didn't know she had until just a few months ago, starting to connect with them and text with them and, and be on Facebook back and forth. And she said, just last week, she said that her mother was interacting with her by text. And one of the things that she said at the end of the text, like the other 15 things that she was talking about, life and all that stuff, here's what she put at the bottom of the chest. She said, and by the way, I'm looking at uh, attending churches. And she was like, that's, that's really awesome. That's good. And her mom responded, what do you think about that? What, what do you think about that? I have no idea where that will go. But do you see what Jesus can do? When you say, I don't know what happened, but I'm going to go meet this woman. I'm, I'm going to go meet these women I don't know, my sisters. And when I go, I'm not going to come in bitterness or anger because in the grace of God, he placed me into this family, which put me here, which gave me a chance to hear the gospel, which gave me a chance to marry a great guy, to have this family and be a part of it. All those things, to look at what God has done and said, listen, I'm just going to embrace that. And then when you go in to be able to live your life in such a way that your family who has not had that background in church, and believe me, has a lot of baggage that would keep them out of church, is now thinking about and saying to themselves, you know, if I look at her and the way her life is, maybe I need to think about church. Only Jesus can do that. He's the only one that can do that. There's no psychologist in the world that can do that. That's just the beginning. And I want to say something to you as your pastor. I want to hear more and more stories like that. I want to hear stories of being reconciled to fathers who are alcoholics and who are abusive to you. And in the grace of God and the forgiveness of God, you see them come to faith because of what happened. I want to see brothers and sisters reconciled not just to you, but to Jesus. Because of your willingness to say, I said some terrible things. You said some terrible things. I forgive you. Please forgive me. Regardless of how they respond. Jesus wants that of us. And in light of what he's done for us, that is a small ask. It's a small ask to extend it to others, right? Listen, there's hope for our family of origin. I believe it's the gospel. It's the gospel.
William is going to come and lead us in a final song, and I'm just going to ask you to sit right where you are and to close your eyes because I would be stunned if there's not a man, woman, or teenager in this room that God has not already spoken to you about some level of brokenness in your family of origin. I'd be stunned. And being that that's the case, instead of just singing another song together, I want William and the team to sing a song for us. But I want us just to sit right here, and I want to let the Holy Spirit map out any kind of game plan He has for us. Or we need to begin to have those conversations, try to rebuild those bridges, go own our role, whatever that's been, try to fix what we can, say I'm sorry, maybe even make restitution, do whatever we can do to see the kingdom of God work through us to repair our family of origin. So let's just give him space right now to do what he wants to do.